Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Health Unfiltered podcast. My name is Rogelio, and I'm here with my two beautiful RD friends. Brookie and Nicole. <laughs> If someone's watching the video, you can see me struggle. That was embarrassing. Like, I will not edit that out. It's got to stay. It's just you, like. (laughs) (laughs) This smells really good, though. This is going to be a bit of a drunken Q&A podcast. But uh, apparently Brooke got started earlier because she couldn't (laughs) open up her hand. So um, what are we drinking tonight? I have a, you inspired me, Ro, to try something new and local. Good. So it's Botanist and Barrel Farmhouse Cider Seriously Dry. They're here in North Carolina in Cedar Grove. I'm very excited about this. Yum. I am drinking a pomegranate Paloma. Ooh. Oh. What's in a Paloma again? It's normally like grapefruit, tequila, and something else. Do you know, Ro? Yeah, the the Paloma that I grew up with was just squirt and uh, squirt and tequila. Ooh. That's it. Yes, because oh, squirt, squirt's like grapefruit, the grapefruit pop. Uh, yeah, that's like at every party. Oh, it's a staple. Way to show me up on how to actually say Paloma. Like, come on, my country well, <laughs> accent. <laughs> like, I'm going to be like, a Paloma? Like, I can't. <laughs> but, uh, legend it says that if I, if I do that. Yeah, Legend says if I do that, my mom will pop up and just slap me across the head and then just vanish. So I'm always on my toes. <laughs> like I have to I have to say it uh three times in a mirror, like Paloma, Paloma, Paloma. and then on that third one, it's like a hand. I've never heard someone use a basic white girl accent until right now when when Ro tried to say it that way. <laughs> Yeah, really I spent a lot of time practicing. Mississippi. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I've had, had a lot of practice for sure. Um, Seva, as what are I you drinking? About, oh, that's right. Uh, normally, uh, I feel bad because you were like, you've inspired me because this week I just wanted a margarita or a margarita um, since yeah. I you know, don't want to say it the wrong way. But yeah, it's uh, Casamigos um, tequila and then some, I, I forget what it's called, the Ciroc or whatever, uh, and then the mix. So a lot of lime. I do love my lime taste. I miss the tequila memo. We could have really been getting turned today. I know. <laughs> Going through the tequila, I was like, "Ooh, me too." <laughs> well, I'm just, <laughs> uh, I'm just taking bets on when we start to fall off. You know, like, like, all right, question one, question eight. We'll I'm taking see. bets on question eight. Question let's, eight. Let's prices write this. Well, prices write this. I'm at, I'm at eight. I feel strong. Like, all this high quality audio, all you're going to hear is like, and then I said, but so for those of you who uh, do follow us on social media, uh, the past couple days, we threw up some stickers uh, asking if you had any questions regarding fitness, health, exercise, uh, drinking, life in general. Um, we got some really great questions. We got some troll questions, which are great too. Um, but I'm really excited to kind of drink and riff with uh, two people that I, you know, have a lot of faith in when it comes to nutritional advice and knowledge. Uh, and then I'm going to do my best to answer exercise related things without just saying, well, it depends every time. Um, 
but we hope that that you know uh, this inspires you to ask any questions that you might have um and if it's like a really good question that you like dm us we might also be like oh we can throw that in at a different episode uh, and then finally we are starting to do kind of a question of the week so if you do have a question and it like I just said it, it is really good. We can start the next the next podcast episode with that question. So um, keep sending them in. I think this is going to be really fun. I'm I'm really going to enjoy this. It'll be pretty much the reason why we started the podcast, right? Because we always talk about this stuff anyway, and and we always have like a really good time. And I was like, we should be recording this. People will like this. We uh, would just have drunk zooms. Yeah. And, I, and I was like, yeah. this is this is good. We're on something here. It's content 2020. Yeah, that's uh, what I'm saying. And, and it's funny because my buddy John said, the only thing you need for a podcast is a mic and an ego. And I think we, we check those boxes. So uh, we're, <laughs> we're good. Uh, I, I am going to start it off uh, something that I was thinking about while I was making my margarita. Uh, my question to you is, what was the first drink that you ever had? And if you would like, uh, you can disclose the age that you had that. Obviously, all of us, it was over 21. Um, but yeah, <laughs> first drink you had and why it was when you were over 21. Oh, I'll, I'll start to get this out of the way. <laughs> uh, the first time I drank, I didn't understand the different types of alcohol and liquor. I just knew my parents had a cool cabinet full of bottles. Oh, Lord. And so I was like, I don't know how adults do this. Let's try a sip of this and a sip of this and a sip of that. <laughs> and it was like beer, liquor. I don't even remember. It was a really bad situation that ended with a lot of vomit. And that's so embarrassing. I'm admitting it. But uh, yeah. This is free therapy. Look at you. Yeah. Uh, Do you remember at least one of the things you drank? I, oh, I mean, I want to say there was like a Guinness involved. Mm. (laughs) Like it was something dark, but I I don't, I really don't remember. And uh, that was a lesson. Like that's such a lesson as a kid. It's like, like when you let some a kid drink a sip of alcohol, they don't like it, and so they don't go back to it. That was a big learning moment. Well, I'll just say that you were like, I love this. (laughs) That is not what I was thinking. (laughs) No, when my mom handed me a bottle of Resolve to clean the carpet, not what I was thinking. Oh no! (laughs) What about you, Nicole? So I want to say that I was a pretty good kid. <laughs> and so I never tried to like do bad, bad things because, you know, people pleaser by nature. Um, <laughs> but I was probably 18. But this is a lie. Okay. So when it was my decision, I was 18. Um, and it was like Seagram's, you know, like the Jamaica Me Happies. Yes. But there was a story, though. I remember being over at my like childhood best friend's house. And we were like sitting in her den <laughs> watching like movies like we did every day after school. And like we couldn't have we had to have been in middle school. And I remember she brought me a Dr. Pepper. And I was like, this does not taste like Dr. Pepper. And she had like put vodka in it. And I was like, oh no. my God. Like, this is alcohol. And I just remember being so terrified. But I think I still drank it, you know, because you just you know, like be cool. You didn't want to be rude. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You're like, uh, I've already seen. 
I didn't really know what I was doing, but I did it. Um, but then the next one is 18 Seagrams, you know, good times. I mean, you're like, so it was uh, when I was eight and then when I was 42. <laughs> That's good. Uh, the reason I asked is because the, the shot that I used to make my uh, margarita was a Jägermeister shot. And that was the first thing I drank was Jägermeister. No so way. I was, I was uh, at a family reunion in Colorado and it was like the first time I was meeting or second time I was meeting this family. And they were like, you know, older kids that were cool. I think I was like maybe 17. Uh, um, and they were like, oh, like, do you drink? And I was like, no, not no. Like kind of the same thing. I was like, I'm a, I'm a good kid. You know, I don't want to do this. Um and they were like, well, you have to drink something like we're all alone. Like we're having a party here. There are no parents around. And I was like, Peer I don't know. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Um, that's when my adrenaline rush started like becoming a thing. I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. <laughs> um, but then, uh, yeah, they were like, well, what do you like? And I was like, I don't even know. I don't even know what this means. Like, it, it's all just different to me. And so they poured Jägermeister and we're like, oh, just take this. And I remember drinking it and being like, oh, this is not that bad. Like, it's pretty good. And they were like, all right, well, you're a psycho. And so I had like maybe two more shots of that. Uh, and by the end of the night, my cousin was trying to throw himself off the balcony. And then uh, I was trying to message uh, a girl that I liked back home at the time. And so I was sitting on the computer. And, uh, and this wasn't like what you would think drunk texting was. It was just like, hi, I miss you. How's home? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is this was before the dick pic era, but um, thank, thank God. <laughs> uh, yeah, simpler times back then. Um, but then I remember my cousin coming in and like just annoying the hell out of me, and I told him to stop. And again, second time I met him, and I just punched him in the face and like ended up breaking his nose. And I just ran away. I ran away and like stayed in a room, locked the doors, and he was like pounding on it as the sun was coming up and then I just like blacked out. Uh, and then the next morning, yeah, I, I woke up, he was on the couch with like blood on his shirt and he was like, what happened? I was like, that's crazy. I don't know, man. Anyway, we got to get going. So, so it was, a, it was a good time. Yeah, so, uh, so serious follow-up question. Do you ever drink Jaeger anymore after that? You know, I, I haven't like, I haven't gone and like bought a bottle of Jaeger and, I could not tell you the last time, but I'll drink it. Yeah. I mean, if it led to a story like that, I'll do it for sure. Like, <laughs> I'm all about the story. What's up? I don't know if I've ever had Jaeger. Yeah. I mean, people think it's like disgusting, but it's very syrupy. It's yeah. yeah, yeah sugary yeah. and it's syrupy. Like, it's very like, weird. It's like licorice is kind of like my story probably wins for today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. know. I, I, I do like I do like so Brooks. Like I'll take this and this and this and this and this, and then just <laughs> bleh, so, man, that's kind of really great for me. Um, cool. So let's move on to uh, the list of questions. Um, so we're gonna call you out for the question that you sent. Um, this is not to make fun of the trolls, but also just to be like, hey, we appreciate you sending in your questions. So this is a question from Stay Golden Tony Boy. That's amazing. Uh, in your opinion, what is the best way to go into a calorie deficit? I'll start us off on this nutrition one. I would say the best way to go about it is slow and steady, not in a dramatic way, 250 to 
500 calories max. And I think maybe the intent of this question was like, there's so many different ways to go into a calorie deficit. The best one is that for you is going to be the one you can stick to. So if you really love carbs, don't pick keto to go into a calorie deficit. That makes no sense because you're not going to be able to sustain it and you're going to feel awful and miss all the good things and just joy in life by cutting out carbs. So the best way to go into a calorie deficit is slow and steady and definitely however you can sustain that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't I mean, had that much to drink yet, but those are my thoughts. <laughs> I told you, you were drunk when you couldn't open up the can. Uh, no, I think that that's that's really like the best way to answer it. Like, and and it's so funny because that's the answer for ninety five percent of like nutritional questions um, or questions that people tend to have. But you know, it's good it's good to to hear it from a professional instead of just some random influencer. <laughs> Let's yeah, see what else. Sure. We have, I know we have questions about that. What were you going to add, Nicole? Oh yeah, I just think that there is always like that information out there that like this one calorie deficit number is like what everyone should do, and like you said, bro, anything when it comes to nutrition, and I'm sure fitness also is like it is always going to be at an individual level. Like you really mm-hmm. are going to have to play with what works for you and what doesn't. For sure. All right, so kind of piggying back, piggybacking, geez, off of that one question too. Um, this one's from Maggie Gracia. Uh, what is your, so we all pretty much hate diet and workout trends, uh, but what is your least favorite diet and or workout trend? Who wants to start? This is a, this is a good one. <laughs> okay. I think any like when it comes to diet anything that's just like low carb no carb so keto just all of that i just like i just don't understand it and i don't understand why like anybody actively chooses this i'm just like <laughs> what about your brain what about every other like function of your body that needs carbs <laughs> no. so i just i don't know that's like one i just like can't entertain it's really hard for me to talk about it. If anybody asks questions, I'm just like, no, no. I'm going to be really lame and just say what Nicole said. It, low carb <laughs> is my least favorite. It's terrible. It's terrible. Just enjoy life and carbs. And you're going to be miserable and not get sustainable results. Yeah. And as someone who works with people who yeah. are usually trying to perform in the gym or for their jobs because their lives depend on it with the populations I work with, just, just eat the damn carbs. Yeah, definitely. You don't want to get like fired or worse, uh, have someone get hurt because you couldn't focus or you couldn't perform, but at least you got bicep <laughs> veins. Like, all right, cool. Uh, for me, mine would be, and I don't like mean to shit on vegans, but it's vegans. Uh, and, and one, like if you are like, I can't eat, animals because like i respect animals and whatever like that cool like those are just differences of like morality and and what you think is like important fine for sure but if you're like dairy is bad for you uh grains are bad for you like all this stuff is bad for you eggs are gonna increase your cholesterol i'm like you already don't know what you're talking about one and then two from a personal standpoint how can you not love steak or pizza or maybe you do love them and you're just gonna be like it's just not worth it for me. Like I will slaughter all the cows. I don't even care in order to eat steak. I will 
I will, you know what I mean? Like, I I'll, I love that food too much to just be like, we're on oh, episode four of this podcast and you're already going to make the vegans come after us. <laughs> we didn't make it very far. It's what? okay. I, you know, I posted a, a picture of a steak on TikTok and I'm like not on it. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, I'll do this and instantly was tagged. It was like three at vegan, whatever. And I was like, it's a picture of a steak. Like I'm not over here telling you you're wrong. It's just food. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just it for me. If, if if you have to cut out steak or pizza in your diet for no reason, I'm not. I'm not Rose out. for it. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, cool. So this one is, is question <clears throat> three. It's from at Shelby Stamets. I don't know. Um, so are the four sigmatic mushrooms and other trendy mushroom supplements worth it or a waste of money? <laughs> this is an interesting question. I would say waste of money. That's my gut and I'll explain why. Well, I went to the website and I've heard about these supplements a lot before. I went to the website and it starts saying stuff like superfood and I'm immediately like, eh, don't trust this. Yeah. However, there's definitely nutritional value and some research benefits to mushrooms, but I will forever be the one that stands here on my invisible soapbox to tell the world, eat the food first, supplements supplement the diet. So that's my two cents. Yeah. I freaking love yeah. mushrooms. So I'm just going to keep putting them in things instead of spending $4 on one little pack of coffee. It's so expensive. Why is it so expensive? (laughs) Because they're going to make money. Yeah. They're not even the magic kind. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like you're putting way too much (laughs) mushrooms. Yeah. I I mean, I I think the thing, like you said, like food first for sure. And then also, you know, uh, when it comes to looking up the supplement and like what's in it, um, a lot of companies, because they're not regulated by the FDA, can say like, oh, we have this in it, but they're not stating how much is in it, right? So that's always like anytime you see like a, mm-hmm. it's a blend or some trifecta system, like it could just be a thousand milligrams of caffeine and then like 10 of everything else. And they're like, it's 1200 milligrams of beta alanine and citrulate, uh, citrulate. And so it's one of those things where even if, it says it's in there, like those quote unquote effective compounds that were founded by research um, are in there. Unless the amount is uh, specified, then it's kind of sketch off the bat. And then two, if it is specified, I would say go and do your own diligence and read up on the studies because, you know, something like, and I always, I always use, um, I think it's citrulline. I'm saying always, but I can't even remember it, uh, where it needs at least like six grams for it to be ex- effective in the pre-workout. Um, but it's a very expensive part of a, of a supplement. So sometimes it's just easier to not have it or to have, you know, half of it, but then it becomes like kind of a moot point because it's not effective. So when it comes to this specifically and pretty much all supplements, um, you know, do do look into what's what's actually in them. I don't like mushrooms, so it's it's funny that uh, Nicole was like, I throw them in everything, but for the long longest time, I just could not eat them. But I'll eat like a portobello, and I think those are pretty good if they're cooked right. But you gotta try some other ones. It's, it's like, alien. Um, 
shiitake, like maitake, oyster mushrooms. Like those are really good ones. They are amazing together. I think you guys are forgetting that mushrooms are like a a delicacy and I'm broke. (laughs) So it's one of the things where like I can, I can afford the food that I can. And I'm like, this is, Oh, we got the academia martyr over here. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I'm like, please subscribe to this (laughs) podcast. Please listen to our ads. No, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I think that that was a a really good question, Brooke. Um, And then, you know, added on by Nicole, but yeah, I mean, have you guys heard of Alpha Brain by Onnit? No, no, I don't think so. Actually, I, I think they're, and I'm, I may be speaking wrongly about it, but their whole thing is that it uses some sort of, um, I'll call it a mushroom complex, just because it's like a bunch of different things, mushroom blend. And there are some people that like really swear by it that that I know of, uh, but at the same time, like. Their mental capacity isn't even that great anyway. So I do think there's something to be said for like emerging trends and research, but it's one of those things where just because there's one or two studies that say something to support a supplement, it doesn't mean that we have all the scientific facts and evidence. So personally for me, it's like, I'm not going to spend all that money if we don't really have a solid body of evidence that it's going to be beneficial. It most likely won't hurt you. It's just going to be really expensive. It's an expensive hobby. (laughs) It's quite a, quite a hobby. Um, Cool. Yeah. Good. Good question. So now we have question. Is this four? Yes. Question four from MWA Hammer. Uh, what is the best way to balance gains with quality of life? <sighs> okay. So I think um, when it comes to <clears throat> balance and then gains, uh, it's important that you like try to prioritize. And that's going to be like kind of the theme when it comes to exercise stuff, but prioritize what's important to you at that moment. And then maybe based on your six month, one year, two year, five year plan, um, go off of that. But, you know, if, if your, if your goal is to hit like a lifetime deadlift of 700 pounds or put on 15 pounds of muscle mass in two years, uh, then there are like some sacrifices that are going to need to be made. Um, and it's it's one of those things where like is it worth it to be crushed all the time but still be able to perform in the gym um, if you can't go on a hiking trip with your buddies if you can't go out and drink with you know your significant other because you're really focused about you know hitting a ninety percent squat so that three weeks from then you can peak or whatever. So it, it's kind of one of those things where how, how important is it to you and, and where does it lie on on the scale of importance? Because I, I've been there as someone who in college would skip class to go and lift, uh, skip work to go and lift, even though I worked at the gym, uh, would not go out to lift, um, would tell people, you know, girls, they couldn't come over because I had to wake up and lift the next morning. Like those are choices that, uh, I made when I was like, you know, 19 up the, up until like 21, 22. And, you know, was it worth it? Like, no, like I'm 27 now and I'm not like a, a an elite lifter. <laughs> so it's kind of like, what did I miss out on? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's like the biggest thing is like, you, you can get gains, you can have fun, obviously, but 
at some point you will have to choose and you choose every day. And so it's kind of like, you know, what's worth it at that moment. That's good advice. And I I like how you said to prioritize and it's like, well, what do you want out of life? Okay. Well, does this fitness goal work towards that overall life goal of like what you want? You know, it's really just about assessing. That was good advice, Ro. Yeah. And I think your priorities, like you said, they kind of change over time. So maybe if this was important to you once, you kind of get some years of experience and some life (laughs) in you and you're just like, ah, maybe. So around like like 21, 22, Rose said the women became more important. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. (laughs) I I said I was like, these gains are cool, but if it's only the bros that are like, nice pecs, dude, <laughs> then I'm like, what am I doing this for? You know, like we always think that it's the girls that come by, but people are like, bro, I see you're, uh, I see you're squatting through 15 for 10. I'm like, whatever, dog. Where's that <laughs> little bitty that was over here? Um, yeah, it's, uh, you're, that's probably right. Well, that and also like I've been broken physically so many times now that I'm like, none of this is worth it. If I can't like sit down and do work, then I need to reassess stuff. But yes, women, <laughs> women, <laughs> women. <laughs> all right. So, so moving on. Uh, so this one is from uh, F. No, no, no. Uh, what are some tangible steps to take on improving and maintaining gut health. So I'm going to give you like the basic to do's Four actionable steps by Brooke. Drink water, lots of water, (laughs) move your body regularly. If you're experiencing GI symptoms, this is light movement. Don't be running around, jumping up and down, doing hit when you're, you've got issues and you're on the toilet. Don't do it. Three, eat enough fiber (laughs) every day for men. Under 50, this is 38 grams. If you're over 50, it's 30 grams. So it goes down a little bit as you age. For women, you want to shoot for 25 grams a day, 21 grams if you're over the age of 50. Last point, eat probiotic and prebiotic foods. We talk a lot about probiotics because they're trendy and they're in kombucha, but probiotics are also in yogurt, sauerkraut, kimchi, fermented foods like that. Prebiotic foods, whole grains, bananas, greens, a ton of other good stuff. But those are my four actionable steps. Easy peasy. Brooke, uh, I do have a question. Why do you know why the the fiber numbers go down? I, I guess not dramatically, but why they do go down when you are over a certain age? I don't know the exact reason, but if I had to guess, I would say it had something to do with gut motility as you age. That changes. Mm-hmm. It has. The main reason is because you're not as mobile. You're not moving around as much. Mm, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and and I would like to add, and this is this is going on to, or uh, I guess adding on to what Brooke said about moving your body regularly. <clears throat> so I, you know, I, I think that first and foremost, like the gut microbiome, I think is still very trendy because it's new, um, which also means that the research is like booming right now, but there's not a lot of things that we can like actively say, oh, if you do this, this will happen. Uh, you do have like all these different gut flora, but they each do specific things. Maybe they each work in conjunction, maybe. Um, and so when it comes to moving and exercise, like this might affect your gut health. Um, you know, I can't even say it might not because we know that exercise is so potent that it's almost impossible to think differently. Um, that if you are, you know, sedentary, you're going to have 
weaker or less healthy bacteria. Um, but I, I do like to think about if anyone's ever ran a marathon or has known about people who run marathons or run a lot, like there's a lot of gut distress, i.e. diarrhea, vomiting, constipation um, that occurs just from doing work. And uh, there's a couple of reasons. Like one, it's because as you are doing work, you you do have to kind of shunt off blood to uh, organs that aren't really doing much work so that you can increase blood flow to the muscles that are doing work. But also like there are certain mechanisms in your uh, body that are like, okay, well, right now we have a decrease in energy. So we have to increase, you know, our ATP util utilization, and that's going to affect AMPK, which is a sensor, blah, blah, blah. And these are all things that might in the moment act to change your microbiome to become more efficient so that you exercise better. But long term could be like a positive or a negative, depending on how hard you're exercising. So it's, it's, I think what you said earlier about, you know, if you are experiencing GI symptoms, move a little less, like do lighter work. If you always find that when you are doing high intensity work, you need to throw up or you have automatic like <laughs> shit flying out of your ass, like maybe change a lot of things. Um, but all that stuff is interconnected. Uh, but we just aren't really totally um, sure. I got this book that I've started reading called The Athlete's Gut by Patrick Wilson, who's a RD and a PhD, which is cool. And it talks a lot about this. We should do we should do a whole podcast about that, honestly. Like how, especially with yeah, running, I think it's a huge we, we issue. About that. Fascinating stuff. For sure. Yeah. And, and it's all like new stuff. So it there's a lot of ways that things might change in 5, 10, 20 years from now, but... Cool. That was good. Um, this is, oh, this is a good one. Um, they're all good ones so far. So a question from Sam Johnson, 91, any tips for eating when anxiety kills your appetite and hunger cues? Um, I can take this one. Um, I think the biggest thing, and it may seem so like, well, duh, is you have to like remind yourself that regardless of if you're hungry or not, like, you still shouldn't go a whole day or two days or whatever it is without eating. You still need to fuel your body. Your body still needs food, regardless if your hunger is suppressed in the moment. And really like if you're trying to get out of that anxiety state, it's probably not going to be great to be hungry, even if your body isn't telling you that you're hungry, because then your body's going to go into overdrive and, you know, think that there's some sort of like, acute starvation going on. And that's just going to cause more stress on the body in the long run. I love it. Yeah. Sometimes it, like you said, it's important just to remember what you need and like mm -hmm. that it's a way to, in a like healthy way, take care of yourself when you're super anxious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wise words of Coco. <laughs> All right. So question, uh, Seven. Six, seven. I don't know. The next question seven um, is from Brad Gons. No, it's, it's not that. It's just because I jumped around in the beginning because I'm a fool. Um, all right. So by Brad Gons, is there a way to balance out training to have both cardio endurance and strength slash size without losing gains? And then how does nutrition factor into this? So this is actually a pretty big question. 
Um, I think it's important to understand that regardless of who you talk to, this answer is going to be like a little different every time um, because I think people look at it through like their own lenses. But when we look at it from an exercise science standpoint and from like a mechanistic standpoint, uh, a lot of it is about timing, right? So if you are, and again, going back to the whole, you need to prioritize what it is you want to do. Um, but it, it is about timing. So as you do exercise, uh, exercise is inherently a catabolic process. Um, and catabolic means to break down things because what you're doing is you're breaking down muscle, you're breaking down uh, glucose, fats, all in order to increase energy production. Uh, once that's done though, right, we do have processes that take over to turn into an anabolic state, which is an increase or uh, like a building state. And so a lot of those pathways we're finding now um, kind of work in unison or they're the same pathways, but just depending on the timing, uh, their, what they do switches. So knowing that, right, I think if, if you are, it's always good to think about like a year long plan. If you are trying to get to some specific goal of, I want to be able to squat 315 pounds as well as be 200 pounds, even though I'm 240, as well as, um, you know, run a sub eight minute mile, right? Those are three goals that are very different uh, and they can all have their own training program just on their own thing. But how you tackle that is going to depend on maybe, maybe your squat's at 305 and you're like, okay, I don't have to hit it as much, right? Um, so the frequency might be a little lower so that I can decrease volume so that I can run more so that I can have my sub eight minute mile. Another thing is as you do exercise, right, you will lose weight if you are in a caloric deficit, um, which I'm sure you guys have plenty to say about right now. Um, but, you know, if it's just like you are 240 and you want to be 200, like that's a pretty big jump depending on your time frame. And so if that means you have to go out and do two hours of low intensity, steady state cardio, because you want it to happen in two months, which is going to suck and is probably not the best idea, um, then you right, have to put that into, into frame um, or into context when it comes to the other things. So it, you know, I, I feel like I, I said like a billion things without answering it. Uh, but that's like the truth is that you prioritize what it is that you want. And as long as you can do things in an effective manner um, and you have a coach that's able to guide you through things, can explain why you're doing A, B, and C instead of A, B, and D, uh, then all of those things are doable within a you know, good amount of time frame if your nutrition's on point, if the volume's on point, and all that other stuff. Nutritionally speaking, uh, he sent me a lot of follow-up information after the sticker his main concern was that when he tries to add in running to work on the endurance while wanting to maintain that strength and size, he loses a lot of weight. And what that is to me is feedback nutritionally that you're not eating enough and you should be increasing your caloric intake a little bit specifically around your workouts. If your workouts are really long, you might even need fuel during your workouts. 
that's what I would start with is adding a little more fuel to bookend those workouts and see if that helps you kind of maintain where you are while you're adding in more running and things like that into your training. So like specifically to answer his situation and add on to your good advice. Yeah. I mean, I think that that, that answers it a lot too, right? Because maybe even if the volume is in check and your cardio is in check and everything, but you're not feeding yourself the right way, whether it's to lose weight or to keep optimizing performance, then, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose or not at, at least not reach your goals when you think you should be reaching them. So it's a good question. I was about to get into some like AMPK, PTC1 Alpha, like MTOR. And the tequila kicked in. The tequila stuff. kicked in. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, pathways? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you guys, you, you can Google it. Um, <laughs> all right. So here's our next question, which is seven on here, which means it's eight on here. So, uh, how can you maintain consistency with nutrition while traveling one to two weeks at a time? Ooh, I like to travel. I think like the thing that I have really enjoyed and me and Brooke have done this when we've traveled together is we really like renting like an Airbnb. So we have a kitchen space and so we don't have to eat 100% of our meals out and we can kind of control at least like one to two meals cooking at the Airbnb or wherever we're staying. And then also like when you go out to eat, just like checking in with yourself of like, what is it that my body really needs? Like, even though we think we're always going to want to order like a big old burger and fries, like, you know, maybe your body really is telling you, Hey, I'm really wanting some vegetables right now. So kind of just like seeing what's on the menu and kind of seeing how you can cater to both like the delicious aspects, but also the nutritious aspects. Yeah. Nicole and I, I love to travel with Nicole because we always go grocery shopping and get stuff to eat healthy. And I feel so much better. Mm -hmm. I'm like really sensitive the older I get. I'm not even that old yet. And I get really sensitive <laughs> if I'm traveling and I'm not eating normal things. It affects me. So I think I end up enjoying traveling more when we, we get a place that has a kitchen or at least like a little kitchenette. And we can cook and kind of have a little regularity in our meals and make sure we're getting what we want. But we're still then going out and eating and treating ourselves. Okay. So then follow-up question, uh, something I just thought about. So let's say that this person that um, – oh, I forgot to say it was from Run Forest, Run 204. Um, let's say he's a trucker, someone that has to travel a lot for work, and it isn't about leisure, right? So he can't really be spending money on Airbnbs, and it's not really like a fun thing. How does that how does that change the advice that you might be giving to that person? Um, I mean, I definitely think that's very difficult. And um, I mean, I don't Brooke, have you like worked with anybody who has had a schedule like that? Or like have you seen anything that works for other individuals when it comes to this? Yes. And I'm gonna call out one of my friends, Rick, who <laughs> He's military and he brought a freaking crock pot. He brought a crock pot to a <laughs> hotel room or whatever the situation was. Yes. Because usually even in a hotel room, you have a little fridge and you have like a little freezer and yeah. a microwave. You can actually do a lot with that. You just really have to prepare and plan ahead. And I would think about all this before you even go on the road. Um, and you don't have to be like Rick and bring a crock pot, but it's like actually kind of brilliant. Yeah, but also Rick, good move. <laughs> right? Yeah, like that. That's I was kind of proud. 
room service. I know. I know that when. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, I have an unlimited budget. I'll take everything on your menu. Uh, I know that when when Casey and I go traveling, uh, we don't like to glamp it up like you two. Um, it's always like tents and whatever. But she's really good about being like, I have this whole <laughs> meal plan. There we go, nailed it. Uh, I have this whole meal situation planned out. Like, and it's it's a lot of stuff that involves a crock pot where you just throw it in there, and it's like for the next four days we're eating shredded chicken, and we're just making sure that we're by somewhere that has like fire. And so we can heat it up. It's nice and easy. Um, and and then go from there. But we make sure that it's like, you know, protein, carbohydrates, like all the things that allow us to travel and, and do long hikes for like, you know, six to 10 hours a day or whatever. So I think a lot of it's just planning. It is. Right? Like planning. When in doubt, grocery store rotisserie chicken. Yeah, true. Delicious, mm. cheap, easy protein. But one thing that we have learned yeah. from this question is that Brooke and I will never be traveling with Ro. No. <laughs> no. I think it's funny you guys were like, Brooke was like, I love traveling with Coco. In a kitchen. Nicole like, and I. I've, I've never. Okay, so Nicole and I are going to Asheville, like a, a meet in the middle date, right? And we're literally planning. Sick. Thanks for meeting <laughs> We're literally planning our uh we want to make these fancy like pumpkin fall spice lattes. So that's the kind of planning that goes into our trips. That's the level we're on. I'm like, uh, I'm in New Mexico, so there's a lot of dirt around here, and that's that's all that I'm gonna eat. So <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I hope I hope I can see you all soon so I can pretend that we're still friends, but it's cool. Um all right. So uh, next question before I start crying, <laughs> let's get to a question from Mikey McKim. Uh, what are your thoughts on pre-made meal delivery services? Uh, I can't, I'll, I'll start it off, but I, I can't speak to like um, their, I, I assume that most of them have like the nutrients like on there, have the label, like it's like, this is what the protein is, fats, carbohydrates. I don't think many if any of them put on like you know how many vitamins are on there and what this one might be good and also it's not really my wheelhouse but i think for me because i do have a friend uh who uses it and it's just for him it's he cannot stick to cooking he cannot like he's got a lot of other things going on and he's like every time i've been successful it's just because i've had these like pre-made meals because i don't have to think about like, what am I eating today? What's going to be in it? It's just like, I know this is here, whatever. So even though they're expensive and they're expensive for him as well, um, if they work for him and they are getting the job done, then it's one of those things where like, if you can justify paying for that money instead of having to cook, then I'm going to say, keep it up because it is helping you with whatever goals that you set. Now, if you have like a really tight budget, it's probably not the best move. Um, but that's really like all that I have to say about it because from a goal-oriented view, like if it if it's working, then like don't stop it. Yeah, that's good advice. Like back to the priorities comment, like what are your mm-hmm. priorities? What is your day-to-day life like? And for a lot of individuals, that convenience factor is going to be huge when it comes to this. And also if you have the budget for it and it works for your life, totally. Yeah. I, th- I would think 
So at first when I read this, I thought about the like HelloFresh every plate ones where everything comes delivered to your door. Which those are kind of, those are pretty cool if you're someone who doesn't want to do the grocery shopping and picking recipes. The only thing about those I've noticed the sodium is really high. Uh, but if you're actually doing the like fresh, everything is prepped and you're just putting it in a microwave. There's actually a lot of companies out there where the micronutrients and the macronutrients and everything are great. So if you like the taste and it's in your budget, I say go for it. But definitely check the sodium. I've noticed through working with clients that that seems to be the one thing that's a little overdone. So food for thought. But 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 I assume that that has to do with like them being able to package stuff, right? Like that, you know, it's it's easier In to frozen meals. Send. Yeah. But if you're doing, um, it was like the meal kits even. Like some of these meal kit meals for one mm. serving, it was like almost 1,500 milligrams of sodium. Well, that's like over half of what a healthy serving should look like for your whole day. Okay. So then for those of... For those who don't know, and it's definitely not me because I definitely know, uh, what would be, what's like a healthy serving of salt? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, around 2,500 milligrams or less. It depends how active you are. If you're a really active person, it's okay that you get more sodium. But I mean, that that's a lot of sodium in one meal to have like over a thousand, I would, I would think. But what's common when you eat out is because there's so much from a culinary point of view, this is why chefs and dietitians don't get along. There's a lot to be had with a, a little, a, a more than a little salt bay of salt. So, but that's def- definitely something to think about. But I say go for the pre-made meals if it it's meeting what you need for your, for you and it works with your budget. Good answer. All right. So, question ten from Stephen B. Cruz: Protein intake. How much is too much? The question all gym rats want to know. This is such a, this is a key one where it's like, it depends, but (laughs) it's so true. It's very, very individualized as to what it would technically be for you. So I'm just going to throw some numbers out there to put it in perspective so you can figure out where you would fall on that scale. So this bro science idea is that you should have one gram per pound of body weight. And that's definitely way too much. And who wants to eat that much protein? It's hard to stomach that much protein. I've always heard of like protein farts because like if you have so much protein, oh, yeah. you don't lift, oh, yeah. everyone's just like gassy. A hundred percent. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off, Brooke, but like I, I remember I remember uh, back when I uh, thought I was going to be a genetic king and was doing bodybuilding, uh, my boss was like, I just was so drained. And I remember being like, I just didn't feel good at work. And she was like, how's your diet going? Because I talked about how I want to do this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm just eating a lot of fucking chicken. And she was like, oh, like how much chicken? And I was like, that I don't, I don't know at this point. I just feel like I'm eating a three pound bag every night. And she was like, mm, all right, so go ahead and uh, tell me what you're eating. And I was told <laughs> that you had to have two grams per pound of body weight so i was eating like 360 grams of protein and i remember i would lift i would come back to my dorm room or suite whatever and i would just put frozen all the chicken on the tray uh let it thaw out a bit cook it then i would put like a, a slice of craft cheese on top and i would just eat that with barbecue sauce and i was like this is disgusting but i need my protein uh, and then I realized it was a problem when I couldn't sleep. 
Uh, I couldn't <laughs> shit. Uh, I, I, I had this knot in my stomach for like days on end. And it was really when, when my boss was like, you have zero energy. What are you eating? And I was like, I'm taking out whole farms of chicken at this point. Like, I don't know what else to do. Uh, and as soon as we figured out that I can't read and it was definitely something closer to like one gram per kilogram, I was like, oh, so I just messed this up on both ends. Literally. Uh, oh, so, yeah, it, it's it's, uh, it's Bro, a good like time for sure. So protein farts are a thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, my God. I'm like, what bodybuilding.com forum did you read that bullshit on? Oh, yeah. Well, we can get in. We can get into that at some point later, but. It's it's amazing to me that like somehow and obviously like I've I've fallen for it, but like how do I think I'm the same as a a, a genetically superior athlete that is on stupid amounts of testosterone, human growth hormone, insulin, like trenbuterol, like all these things, and I'm like, yeah, I should be able to work out like them and eat like them, and I'll have the same thing as long as I have this protein and super creatine that they're eating uh and then yeah you learn real quick if you're smart enough to be like this is not this is not working something's wrong um so i yeah i lived on i lived on bodybuilding forums anabolic minds forums like that's when i was like this is stupid man people people just listen to a random person on the internet rose like, like come man, on i didn't have to get a doctorate for random people to listen to me on the internet <laughs> yeah exactly we're gonna get into <laughs> into that for sure now but get his phd uh, <laughs> i do it i do it for the 18 year old me who's just lost on the internet and being like this will work for me for sure all right well i'm gonna set your Whatever. self straight so all these, yeah, all yeah, these yeah, calculations yes, are done in kilograms so if you're new to the whole calculation of the changing over of that converting i don't know whatever American. i'm two siders in i shouldn't be stumbling over my words this much but <laughs> so you want to convert your body weight to kilograms so let's say you weigh 200 pounds you're going to divide that by 2.2 and you're going to get a kilogram of body weight so this is just how for whatever reason we do things in nutrition so for a healthy adult you're going to do 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight that's really not that much. Uh, and some people argue that you don't even need that much. Like I've definitely heard some vegan athletes say that you don't need as much. So this really varies and these are very general guidelines and definitely recommend working with a dietitian to figure out what's best for you and your activity level. For endurance-based athletes, <laughs> shameless plug, for endurance-based athletes, <laughs> it's 1.2 to 1.4 grams per kilogram of body weight. So definitely an increase, but still doable. Nothing crazy here. Strength-based athletes, strength-based athletes, it's 1.6 to 2. So this is a lot and not always necessary. So don't get scared by that. But you basically kind of have a scale of what works for people. And there is actually some evidence they've done research all the way up to 2.5. And I personally don't recommend it. I don't think there's enough evidence to back that up. So definitely don't go over two. Just not necessary. And you're going to end up like young row. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I think that that's, that's where I uh, had messed it up is that it was like, okay, I'm a quote unquote strength-based athlete. 
So I should be getting two grams per pound oh. of body weight. Um, yeah. And so, and then when I learned how to read my sophomore year of college, finally, I was like, oh, this is wrong. Um, I do want to say that, uh, you know, I, I don't know about endurance-based athletes because it's not my wheelhouse. I also don't do any research on them. But for strength-based athletes, um, there is some evidence that you might not even need that much. Um, and so, th so the reason we want protein is obviously so that we can like build the muscle back up, but it always kind of relates to an increase in muscle protein synthesis. But when we are doing uh, exercise, right, MPS tends to increase uh, afterwards, right? So if we're looking at like stimuli, sometimes you don't need as much protein because you are getting signals that are saying, hey, we're exercising, so we're going to increase our MPS anyway. Um, there's still like a ton of debate on that. Uh, obviously, when it comes to, like Brooke said, your goals, you should work with someone who understands that and isn't just going to be like, sorry, dude, you're a strength-based athlete. Uh, strength-based strength athlete. That's question <laughs> 11. Um, so, so you need 1.6 to 2 grams, like nothing more, nothing less. Uh, and not just some like rando who is like, yeah, I don't know. I heard this on bodybuilding.com and that's what that jacked dude mm -hmm. says. So here you or go. Or those um, like um, online calculators, awful. And because all this varies, right? If you're in a calorie deficit, I'm going to tell yeah. you your protein should be different than if you're in a calorie surplus or you're at maintenance. Yeah. So it's just, there's so many different factors. Yeah. And then also like, we don't know if there are differences between like men and women yet. There probably isn't. There's a good chance that there isn't um, just because like muscle tends to act the same way. Uh, and then as well, like we're still trying to figure out if it's 1.6 to 2 grams per kilogram of body weight or lean muscle mass, because then that kind of changes things as well. Because I mean, unless you're 3% body fat, right, your weight is not an accurate representation of how much lean muscle mass you have. Um, and so that's definitely going to play play a role as well. So this one, uh, question 12 from Bishop 502, shout out Mississippi State. Um, so just hitting macros versus caring about nutritional density and quality of food choices. So what he means here is like, what are your thoughts on it? When is it appropriate to maybe be like, hey, I only care about my macros. I don't really have to worry about vitamins and, and whatnot. Um, because I know that from my standpoint, because one, I'm not an RD. And two, if I'm looking at like basic or like macronutrients as a whole and not so much into the micro, I'm like, hey, as long as I get my macros right, like I'm going to be able to perform. I'm going to be able to gain or lose weight depending on what I'm doing. Um, but what are your, what are your thoughts and and I guess beliefs on on that? Uh, well, my for me personally, I think if I had to pick one, I think nutrient density and the quality of the food you're eating is more important. Unless you're someone who's an elite level athlete who needs to be super dialed in and on the gram of their carbs and protein. I just think that overall for longevity in life, I'm going to pick nutrient dense food, good quality food choices. That doesn't mean that you can't have things you enjoy and have balance in that food pattern. But I think overall, big picture, that matters more. Plus, I also think macro tracking should be a tool, not a lifestyle. So absolutely use macro tracking to hit a goal, but that shouldn't be your way of living. 
you should be able to make choices confidently about the food you eat and to know what you need, where you're roughly around what's appropriate macronutrient-wise, but you're making nutritionally dense choices and high-quality foods. Yeah, every uh, every amateur bodybuilder is now going to come after you. So I got the vegans coming after me, and I got and you got the bodybuilders that are like, it's just what <laughs> I do, okay? Um, but there's also like we can get into another point. It's like not mentally healthy to be like, I mean that's like orthorexia, right? You're like, this is healthy, but I need to know what's what it's going to do to me. Will I have to run half a mile because I had this pan of broccoli, like? What before what the bro with a degree from six pack YouTube university messages me, think about <laughs> it seriously. Are you going to track your food for the rest of your life? Are you going to weigh everything that goes in your body? No, like be honest with yourself. You're definitely not. So it's going to matter afterwards that you, you are able to make choices about what it looks like to have a balanced eating pattern so that you get all your nutrients. You can have fun foods but still make quality choices. Do you like to add anything to that, Nicole? I mean, Brooke did it to me earlier, so I'm just going to do it to her and say I agree with what Brooke said. (laughs) (laughs) Ma'am, I wish – sometimes I'm like, we need one more strength person to be like, bro. And I'm like, hey. We'll we'll make up an invisible hype, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I cannot wait. His name needs to be Chauncey. (laughs) Anyway, um, so uh, I think that this this actually leads into it pretty well. So this is a <laughs> this is a two part question uh, from technically Zach. Um, how do you gauge the credibility of fitness professionals in a saturated media driven world? And also, what lifts will make my junk bigger? Um, I'm going to go ahead and answer that second one first. If you just do a lot of shrugs and like happen to fluff it up as it's happening, that's it. But it is it is what we call an acute response? So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think that there's really anything that's going to increase it. Um, but also, you know, at some point, women become or th- whoever you're attracted to become uh, the motivator. So you're gonna stop lifting for that reason anyway. <laughs> but the main question was, how do you gauge the credibility of fitness professionals? in a saturated media-driven world. Bro, how are you not going to um, reference penis pumps? Oh, my <laughs> God. That's right. I have, like, six of the models back home. Yeah. I, I guess for me it's because that's not, that's not you know, exercise. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, that's, yeah. That's amazing. Anyway, um, yeah. I'm a, I'm a beta tester for them. No, I'm not. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think that this is this is like a really hard one uh, to answer. And I think it kind of depends on who you ask because we're like, I'll never call myself like an expert, but we are for some people, quote unquote, experts, right? Um, but like, how, how, how would you all answer this? Because I, I definitely need time to like, process it because I'm <laughs> drunk. I'll, so I'll start. Um, so someone asked me a similar question. It didn't make the list, but um, not because it's a bad question, but they asked like, what's the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? Technically, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. I see this a lot on Instagram. It's like holistic nutritionist, like balanced life nutritionist. Yeah. And truly it, yeah, it's Nutrition like it means coach. nothing. It's, there's no 
credentials or education that's required. It's really just a label they give themselves. So any diet, any dietitian can be a nutritionist, but not all nutritionists can be a dietitian. If you're drinking too, that was probably a riddle that I will decipher for you. A square <laughs> but, is a rectangle. A rectangle is a <laughs> as dietitians, we have to go through this really long process where we receive, uh, well, we receive an undergrad education that's very lengthy, everything from metabolic to organic chemistry. Good Lord, that was a nightmare. Oh, God. Like, we do so much and oh, so bad. But so we do all these things so that we can actually really understand the science. That's what's really important here is that we know how to decipher science and apply it. That application, tran that translation, that's why we exist. And that's why we're required to have these, you know, call it like college degrees. But they recently require even masters. Nicole and I already did ours, and that's where we met. Good times at Mississippi State. So for me personally, I spent like five years, five years in school. I think most dietitians would probably spend six these days in school. And then you also go through an internship where you're learning from other people that have done this for 1,500 hours. So for you, you sell your soul for like a year to work for people. You pay people to work for them to learn. It's you work for free, you pay them to work. Yeah, you pay them to work. And yeah, that's how you learn, though, through experience, I guess. But we have to do all of this. And then we take this crazy, crazy, crazy exam to become board certified. So you know when you talk to a registered dietitian, they have at least gone through all those steps. With that being said, are there bad dietitians? Sure. It's important that we stay up to date on the, the trends you know, as Roe kind of alluded to, everything changes in science. That's what's kind of cool about science. It changes. We find out new stuff. So there's so much that goes into it on the dietitian nutrition side that I think is really important. And now I feel like I'm rambling a lot, but it's important. And I like to advocate for my profession. Yeah. I, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's not one of the things where we try to like hike, hype ourselves up or say that we're like better than other people. But sometimes when you look at it, like objectively at what's been required, even if you half ass your internship and half ass school, like objectively, you put more time into it, you did learn more than someone who spent, you know, 40 hours watching YouTube videos. And it's like, Oh, okay, we're good. And granted, people do not watch 40 hours watching YouTube videos. They just kind of read stuff and they're like, yeah, I could do this. Uh, and I think that that kind of answers the the difference between the macronutrients and micronutrients question, right? Because for me, like I am only looking at food as, as a fuel source to perform because that is my research. That's who I work with. You know, I work with like, like athletes, but those athletes also tend to have like well, the good ones anyway, like registered dietitians or people that are looking into a lot of other things. Um, what the the chemical makeup of a certain food is and how it reacts to the rest of your body, because it's just not my field. I'm like, this is what a carb does through glycolysis this is what it does through exercise. And that's it. But even as, as being someone who does that, like I, I still know much less than an RD. Um, when you look at it from the strength and conditioning side, it's kind of, I think it's a little harder because um, I, I don't know, it, like sex sells, it will always sell. 
So for the 6'2 genetic freak that has just been like very strong, very shredded his whole life, um, has never had like food insecurity. So has always kind of just been like, yeah, I've been able to eat whatever. He gets to say like, if you do this, you'll end up like this. And most people are like, yeah, he has no reason to be lying. Like, obviously he knows what he's doing. Um, but when you look at like, I always think of it as like tiers, like anyone can become a trainer, right? I remember my, my ACE certification and this is not me shooting on anyone that has an ACE certification, but I knew very little back then. And I passed with like a 92 and was like, all right, whatever. And a lot of it was, you know, basic stuff like how to squat, like how to build relations and whatnot. Like none of that goes into the science and the stuff that I've spent like 10 years plus learning. Um, so that's like the first thing. Second thing is if you decide to get some degree in exercise science or coaching or whatever it's called, uh, even that, like, and again, I'm being an elitist because I am getting my PhD. So it is, it is very hard for me to like, not to be like, Oh, you guys don't know anything because I remember thinking I knew so much. And then I got to my master's program and I got slammed by Dr. Smith like over at Mississippi State, like it was a great learning experience because it it made me realize that I was the epitome of like the Dunning-Kruger effect where I was like, oh, I know everything. And then I know nothing. And so like now as a PhD student, like all I do is this stuff and I'm still like, I don't know shit. Like we don't know anything. So it's very difficult for me to be like someone that has a just a certification or a cert and a bachelor's or a cert and a master's like those are things right that are that they hold weight um but at the same time some of the trainers that have had the best success have been people that have no formal education but they're just really good with people and they're able to be like hey uh this is just a movement i understand that we don't need to squat so it's cool like we can we can get you to lunge or whatever. And I'm going to make sure that I'm here for you. I'm going to make sure that you feel motivated, um, that you want to come. And I'm the reason that you are, you know, putting things on hold so that, you know, you're bettering yourself. Um, and those people are going to get really far in life, regardless of the path that they choose. Um, but when it comes to strength and conditioning, right, like they have zero credibility from the academia and science and maybe even experience side but if they can get people to do like what they're supposed to do then it's kind of hard for me to say like you're doing it wrong when i'm looking at your programs and i'm like they're pretty good like you read the right books yeah well i think you're getting onto like a really good point here that coaching i believe is this it's a transference of energy and if you have these good intentions where you're an educated person and you're making sure people are doing things safely, especially when it comes to exercise programming, and you're able to connect with people and help them make change, then that's awesome. I definitely don't want to discount that. So I think that that's good when people are trying to better and educate themselves through whatever certification process they go through, as long as they're being aware and always trying to learn and grow with the changes. Like as dietitians, we're required to do way too much continuing education. So we're required to keep learning and growing in this field of nutrition as it changes. So I think there's absolutely awesome coaches out there that, that tackle all those things who, like you said, have that mental peace in check because yeah. it's 
mindset. Like when you become a dietitian, really, I feel like I should also get some type of degree in psychology because it's so much about motivating with people, connecting with people, truly understanding how our clients feel. And then that's how we can get through and make changes. It's a good question. And it's it's hard because again, 18-year-old bro is looking at now Instagram, right? It wasn't a thing when I was in a freshman in college, but like you have people that you're like, oh, they have 4 million followers. They obviously know what they're doing. Like, no, they don't know shit. So kind of kind of difficult, but cool. So 14th question here from Social Butterfly. How to grow the booty? Of course. I'm probably not the best person to ask because like I was team flat ass for like 10 years. Like I just had nothing back there. I swear my my ass was like concave. It was like indented. <laughs> Uh, I, I like to, I like to blame the back injuries for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, so recently there's been, uh, I guess maybe it's just something I've noticed, but obviously like, again, sex sells. So anyone who sells like booty programs is if you have like a decent looking, butt, people are like, yeah, I want that. Cool. Especially if you're concave ass like me. So it's interesting because I used to be like, as long as you squat, as long as you deadlift and do some lunges, like you should be fine. Um, but I think it was uh, Brett Contreras, who's like the glute guy that recently said like, you know, bros have been benching and rowing and doing like insane amounts of accessory work for forever because they're like, yeah, obviously benching and rowing is not going to build my shoulders and my biceps and my triceps as much as doing that plus lateral raises plus front raises, you know, lat pull downs, like there's all these accessory movements. So why wouldn't we treat glutes the same way? So obviously you have to do your squats, your deadlifts, your RDLs, like things that you can like heavy compound movement, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't also be doing things like hip thrusts, things like frog pumps, things like glute kickbacks, uh, even like rear foot elevated split squats, which I know Brooke absolutely loves because they're like the best exercise. Um, they, they're they difficult, but they allow you to like move in a way to maybe where you're not utilizing your quads all the time. And like you do have to utilize your glutes. So, I, you know, it's it's one of those things where people are, I think people are right in in this instance where it's not like we know we need volume to grow. So that doesn't mean you can just always squat, right? You do have to have moments where you're like, hey, my hips are kind of fried or maybe I really just want to work on my glutes. So let me do my glute thrust, my hip thrust. Um, and I, I think that there's been a lot of like shaming that's been going on on social media because it's like, why are you focusing on that? Like, you know, all the big people only do this. But I, I agree with someone like Brett who says something like, hey, you should you should be looking at it as an accessory movement. If you're also doing bicep curls, then you shouldn't be ashamed or afraid of doing like hip thrusts and glute thrusts and things that only quote unquote work your butt. So is it weird that I think it's funny that guys shame each other for that? Why is that a big wow? Well, no, I mean, so first weird. Of all, first of all, like I wish I had a thick, juicy ass. Okay. Like <laughs> I I was like, my mom would be like, hmm, you have no ass. And like mentally that <laughs> fucked me up for like 
way longer than I'd like to admit. But I remember she, I came home like my sophomore junior year after eating two grams per pound of protein. So maybe, <laughs> no maybe big deal. Work. Maybe it did work. Uh, and she was like, oh, wow, you like finally have a butt. And I was like, insulted. But then I went to my room and was like, fuck yeah, I do. You know what I mean? I was like, okay. He's like, Rose grabbing his own ass. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let me just cop a feel. Exactly. No, but I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't understand it either because like it's 2020. Everyone wants <laughs> a wagon, you know? So <laughs> it, it's like, Nicole knows all shit. about that wagon. <laughs> I, want, I want a wagon pulled by double horses, you know? I'm freaked <laughs> out. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I don't know why. And I don't think it's, I mean, it's definitely like guys shaming other guys for sure. And that's just, I think that's some like rooted in like homophobia in general. But I think it's also just like hardcore lifting women who are like, oh, I'm just like big and strong. Like, why does this like little petite thing just want to grab, uh, grab, grow her butt? But she doesn't. <laughs> What's on your like, mind? Yeah. I'm, I got tequila in my system, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I mean, it, it's it's along the the spectrum for sure. But it's one of those things where like nobody nobody questions you when you're like, I want bigger biceps. So like, why are they questioning you when you're like, I just want a bigger butt? They're like, okay, cool, do you, dude, or do that? That's, That's like having like translate in so many other ways for your body too, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look at look at some of the best athletes at the world. Adrian Peterson, wagon. You know what I mean? Like Usain Bolt. On, yeah, yeah, Usain Bolt, wagon. You know, the, it's like the, the glutes are are such a such a big, strong muscle, and they were like evolutionary. They were, they were built that way because we had to stand upright. We had to be able to sprint in lateral directions and forward. And you know, they're they're almost like I know people say like you need to have a strong core, and you do, but the glutes are part of your core right they're like your hip complex so if your glutes are weak everything else kind of tends to be weak you can't throw as hard you can't swing as hard you can't produce as much force um you know uh, i think it was conor mcgregor's strength and conditioning coach that said like i'm not looking at guys to see if they have big arms like i'm looking to see if they have big asses because then i can tell they're an athlete like then i can tell that they're able to produce force to kick somebody in the face and and so you're right. Yeah, if you have a strong ass, a big ass, like that's going to translate to a lot of a lot of things. Team juicy booty for sure. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, here's my Insta. Give me a follow. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. So I, that's funny because like that was such an easy question to answer, and I'm over here like. Grow yourself a fat ass. So um, <laughs> it's good. Oh, uh, unless you have something else to add on booties, uh, you good with moving on to our last question? Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. Cool. So this one comes from at Casey Miller 13. I have no idea who that is. Um, <laughs> what is your why? And I think that when when I when I read this in our first episode, we kind of talked about um, you know, why we are doing what we're doing or why we are our respective RDs or strength coaches. Um, so you can answer it that way, or you can do like, what is your why for like your own health? I think just however you decide to answer it, I think it'll work. This is hard. 
Yeah. Because I think there's like so many different avenues that you can go down. I mean, like you said, there's your personal why, and then there's kind of like our collective why. And for me, I think one thing that I read this year that like really stuck with me is like the best thing that you can give to the world is to do your own inner work. And I think that has so much to do with health as well. Like the best thing that we can give out into the world and out into our clients and out into whoever enters our life is like, we have to start with like being our best healthy selves, because if we're not doing that, how are we going to produce any good in those that we like meet and interact with? So I think like for me, my why is to really look into myself every single day and see like what behaviors are making me feel my best so I can like step into the collective and like really have impact there. I love that. That's so true. You can't pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. Beautiful Coco. Um, (laughs) This is hard. I wish I could just say what Nicole said for this one. All right. You're like, same. And I'm like, same, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what she said. Yeah. Well, I think for me, um, I really want to become the coach and the person and the mentor that I wish I had as a young athlete who also struggled with body image issues. I wish I had someone to show me what was really important and what really mattered and that food is fuel and I need to nourish my body and that I can make it work for me. So I think that I want to base, basically, I just want to help other people so that they don't have to feel like they're struggling through that and that they can reach their goals and feel their best and truly be happy and not waste time hating themselves and scared and confused. Roe needed you, Brooke. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah r.i.p 18 year old room um i think uh i think my answer is kind of related to to that because you know as a as a young like impressionable male right who's like always i'm like average height average weight you know like some would argue average build whatever it was always like well i, I, I want to get stronger so i'm going to listen to the people who I think know a lot and they don't know anything. You know what I mean? Like, because at the same, like, like you said, uh, they're, it, they're just not a viable source. And so when I look at like what I think I owe myself, uh, what I owe my family and like, this is like kind of meta, but like all of evolution has gotten me to this point here. Like all of the choices that, my family has made from whenever our lineage started. Uh, like it does mean no good. It does them no good. If, if I don't like try to carry on a legacy that was like inherently helping people and making sure that they knew things were different that, uh, you know, we, we know that there are better ways and that you should be listening to people who, who put in the work. So um, yeah, I mean, that's like a, super hard and it's it's like really hard for me not to get like ultra philosophical and be like (laughs) you know we survived to this point uh but i I don't know i think it's just one of those things where i've put in 
so much work. Uh, like the any anyone who's gotten anyone who's gone to grad school in general will tell you that it's like a shit show. Nobody really enjoys it. And then anyone who goes into like PhD or even like commits to something so holy is like, hey man, this is like you're gonna have more bad days and good days. So like you might as well make it worth it to. I think Nicole put it in a, in a good way, like the collective body of like humanity. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's it. Cause I think this is like the role that I'm willing to sacrifice for, for the betterment of people. Uh, I think that it's really cool to think about like a, it's like semi egotistical, but also not that I will put out information in research that will be the first time something has come up and you're like, yeah, he was the person that did that or that specifically. Um, and it allows other people to like challenge it or think about new things. So, um, you know, a hundred years down the line when someone says, oh, was that ever looked at? Someone's like, yeah, actually the study done in 2020. You guys remember that shithole of a year? <laughs> yeah, well, well, there oh, was a God. really good study that came out. So um, I think it's just one of those things that, I have a somewhat decent brain and if I don't use it to try and like overall help people um, and kind of dig through the the gray zone, then I'm doing a disservice to, to everyone. So. So true. I love that. That was a really good question. Casey, Casey over here asking the hard questions. I know. I'm like, I'm like, delete it. Don't put that in there. Like people are going to know I'm a decent person. He's making you use your emotions and feelings. I know, right? I think it was most of the tequila. If I just had beer, I'd be like, whatever. That was a good question to say. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a good one to, to end it with. Um, is there anything else that you all, any questions that you all thought about during this? Or any- No, now I know that you got drunk on Jaeger and punched him <laughs> in the face. I have no more questions ever for you. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So those those are the two things to to really balance on my life. Like <laughs> drank and punched someone in the face. Oh good. Uh well I, I had a lot of really like a lot of fun during this. Um I think next time I'll probably try to get a little more drunk just to pew, 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 fire away. <laughs> oh, um, God. But this was great for those of you that sent in questions. Um Thank you so much. I think it's it's it allows us to have good episodes, but it allows us to uh, to learn from one another. Because, like I said, there was a lot of things on here that I was like, "Oh, that's that's great to hear from um, an RD's perspective and how it might be different from a nutritionist like myself." Um, <laughs> but but um, we have at this point, hopefully, uh, launched our IG. So that's at Health Unfiltered Pod. Give us a follow. Um, and then all of our uh, own instas are on there. So Brooks is on there. Nicole's is on there. Mine is on there as well. So if you ever have any questions, feel free to leave them uh, on any posts we make or DM us through Health Unfiltered Pod or DM us separately. And maybe we can get another one of these Q&As going uh, so I can talk about my past problems as well so i think it was fun we have to do we have to do this again i think this should be like a regular thing because i also like to connect with what other people are thinking i feel like i nerd out too much and i'm like this is what's super cool to me but it's awesome to hear from other people's perspectives what they actually want to know about nutrition and fitness yeah and then after hearing this if you have uh any 
um, ideas that you would you would like for us to cover on the podcast or people that you think might be really cool to try and get on here, same thing. Let us know because, again, this is a resource for you all, and we're just the ones drinking and suffering through school to <laughs> to get the answers. So. Cool. All right, then um, I'm not really good at signing off, so I don't know. Uh, we'll catch you all later. Thanks for <laughs> checking in. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it, blame the tequila, but peace out. Bye. Talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs>